0: I'm sure you've heard the news by now, but after almost 500 years, Disney has finally lost its copyright on the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse, which means that anyone in the world can now feature the character in their own creative projects. Anything from violent video games to snuff films is fair game, and judging by all the trailers that dropped on January 1st, people are already taking advantage. I was listening to some legal eagle on the news break down the legality of the copyright, and I really love the way he put it. Of course, I can't find the clip now, but he basically says that people can now use Disney's beloved character in the same way that Disney has used characters from cultures all around the world. Cinderella, Pinocchio, Mulan, etc. But there is one distinct and interesting difference in these situations. While Disney has spent the past century sanitizing these messed up myths and fairy tales, leaving in some of the spookiness but making them safe for children and adults, it seems like the majority of people using the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey are doing the exact opposite, covering him in bruises, blood, and bullet holes. With this in mind, I thought it'd be fun to do a quick recap of some of the most interesting ways Disney has both nerfed the original stories and honored them by compiling some of the shorts we made dissecting them. Keep in mind that if you want to hear my extended comparisons of Disney movies and their messed up origins, every single one is linked in the description below. Or if you're waiting on some new content, you can expect my breakdown of Disney's new Percy Jackson series next Friday. In the meantime, I want you to sacrifice those five star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods. And without further ado, let's dive into the messed up origins of Disney movies. Why is a raven like a writing desk? Why about what? Did you know that the Mad Hatter's famous riddle from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was never meant to have an answer? Uh, you were thinking of uh, some information of some kind? The author Lewis Carroll declared that himself in response to receiving numerous letters from fans who were desperate for an answer. But when their demands didn't stop, he decided to come up with one. Now, by this point, his readers had given him a few good candidates, including both stand on their legs, they ought to be made to shut up, Poe wrote on both, and they both produce notes, but neither are musical. All fine answers, but the one Lewis Carroll suggested is definitely the most on-brand, because it can produce a few notes, though they are very flat, and it is never put with the wrong end in front. Note that never is spelled like the word raven backwards, so ironically, it was put with the wrong end in front in that instance. Comment your favorite answers below, or if you're clever, come up with your own answer to the age-old question. Why is a raven like a writing desk? If you watch Pinocchio as a child, then I am sure you remember the terrifying scene where Pinocchio and his friend Lampwick start anamorphing against their will, growing ears, tails, hooves, and even braying like donkeys. In the movie, Pinocchio is lucky enough to escape before the transformation is permanent, but in the book, he isn't so lucky, with both he and his friend Lampwick going full donkey and getting sold into servitude. At first, Pinocchio is forced to perform in a circus, but after hurting his leg, he's sold to a farmer who wants to use his donkey skin as a drumhead. So the farmer ties a rock around Pinocchio's neck and throws him into the ocean, where his donkey flesh is devoured by fish and he miraculously returns to his puppet form. But Lampwick was much worse off. In the last chapter, we learn he was sold to a farmer who overworked and underfed him until he died. The slight silver lining is that Pinocchio learned from his friend's mistakes and committed himself to being a real boy who works hard and supports his family. Aladdin is a terrible son and deserved to get abandoned is what I would say if Disney made him anything like he was in the original 1001 Night Story. Remember how in the first Aladdin movie, he was a street rat without parents or anyone who loved him? Then in the third movie, we learned his dad was the king of thieves and abandoned him to go find some treasure. Well, the book version of Aladdin is as shitty and selfish as the movie version of his dad. In the beginning of the story, he's described as a careless idle boy who would do nothing but play games in the street all day. And his father was so disappointed in his son's lack of ambition that he literally keeled over and died. Now, we have to acknowledge the possibility that his dad could just be really dramatic, but it's also possible that movie dad caught the same loser vibes from Aladdin early on and was just looking to avoid the same fate. Rasputin's death at the end of Anastasia is one of the most disturbing in animated history, but his death in real life was even more brutal if you can believe it. In December of 1916, some nobles led by Prince Felix Yusupov, Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, and Vladimir Puriskevich decided they had enough of Rasputin's damaging the war effort and devised a plan to assassinate him. They invited him to the prince's home and Felix hung out with him in the basement where he fed Rasputin some cakes and wine laced with cyanide which apparently had no effect. So the prince went upstairs, grabbed a gun, and shot Rasputin in the chest. This wasn't the end though. Rasputin used all of his remaining strength to attack the prince, then chased him into the courtyard outside. There, Rasputin was finally shot down for good by Puriskevich. Soon after, his body was wrapped in cloth, brought to a nearby bridge, and thrown into the river below. So yeah, not exactly what happens in the movie, but it did involve a bridge, so at least there's that. Most people are familiar with the Pied Piper and his abduction of Hamelin's children, but do you know why he took them? If the folklore is to be believed, in 1284 CE, the German town of Hamelin was overrun by disease-infested rats, and the residents were desperate for a solution. Enter the Pied Piper, who agrees to rid the city of the dirty little terrorists in exchange for payment, and the mayor agrees to his terms. Using his enchanting pipe, he leads the rats out of the city into a river where they all drown only when he returns to Hamelin, they refuse to pay the piper. So, he takes his revenge by using the same pipe to hypnotize 130 of Hamelin's children and lead them into a cave in the mountains where they're never seen again. And I'll admit, this story is hard to believe because it involves a magic flute that hypnotizes rats and children alike, but historians have presented more practical explanations. If you wanna hear those explanations, check out my episode called The Messed Up Origins of the Pied Piper on YouTube. Did you know that one of Maui's most well-known myths is about his death? and that he died violating the goddess of death? The story goes that Maui wanted to attain immortality, something he would have already if his father didn't mess up his baptism. And his genius plan for doing this was to reverse the birthing process on the goddess, Hini Nuitapur. He tracked down the goddess's home, quietly snuck inside, and turned into a worm while his brothers disguised themselves as birds and watched from the windowsill. Then, as he made his way into the goddess, his bird-brained brothers couldn't help cracking up at what they were seeing. The erratic chirps of four different birds startled her out of her slumber, but Maui was in too deep to take notice that she was awake, and just when he thought he made it inside and that his wildest dream was about to come true, the obsidian teeth that surrounded her fun tunnel crushed him to death. The goddess watched as the lower half of her assailant stumbled backwards and collapsed to the ground but she didn't need to see his top half to figure out his identity. When she spotted the four birds with tear-filled eyes and the fish hook laying by his feet, she knew that she had just killed Maui the hero to humankind. With the death of Maui, both he and we humans lost our chance to ever gain immortality. And the part that might shock you the most is that this is the story Disney used as inspiration for Maui's downfall in the opening scene of Moana. Only instead of Maui seeking eternal life for himself and mankind, he was after the power to create life. If Disney stayed true to the OG Rapunzel story, Tangled would have been a much darker film. Remember in the beginning when Mother Gothel abducts baby Rapunzel after the miracle flower was used to save her mother's life and she inherited some of its traits? Well, this is surprisingly close to the Grimm Brothers fairy tale with one big difference. In the fairy tale, her father gave her up. You see, just like in the movie, Rapunzel's birth mother is having a rough time with her pregnancy and is getting some weird cravings, specifically for a plain called a rampion. Well, the only rampion growing nearby was in their neighbor's yard, which was a problem because their neighbor was a witch. And when she caught the father trying to steal it, she threatened to put a curse on him unless he promised to give her his baby. And the father, wanting to spare himself and his wife from being turned into a newt or worse, agreed to the witch's terms. And the moment his daughter was born, he gave her away and she was locked up in a tower. Disney managed to incorporate so many elements of the original story into their movie. What with the pregnant mom needing a plant to survive and that leading to the baby getting taken away by a witch. But at least in the movie, she was taken against their will where in the story, she was used as a bartering chip. Christopher Robin grew up to hate Winnie the Pooh. Here's why. The stories that Winnie the Pooh's creator, A.A. Milne, wrote about the bear were inspired by the real adventures that his son, Christopher Robin, went on with the stuffed animals in the woods behind their vacation home. The first Pooh story was obscenely popular since its debut in a 1925 London newspaper, and most readers knew it was inspired by real people and events, so six-year-old Christopher Robin became a celebrity with no say in the matter. To make matters worse, the school bullies and his own cousins mocked him mercilessly because of his connection to the famous teddy bear. Christopher Robin has said that despite the overwhelming influence it had over his life, he really enjoyed Winnie the Pooh and being famous when he was a kid. It wasn't until he reached adulthood that he began resenting his dad and the business that he built using his childhood toys. He felt that his father found success by standing on his adolescent shoulders, by exploiting his childhood. He said that his father stole from him the opportunity of making a name for himself and left him with the empty fame of being his son. Did you know that in the original Beauty and the Beast story, Beauty almost kills the Beast? That's right, instead of Gaston stabbing him, Beauty is the one to blame. Much like in the movie, Beast allows Beauty to temporarily leave the castle to visit her family, but he tells her that if she's gone for longer than a week, he'll die of a broken heart. At home, she reunites with her wicked sisters and tells them about her life in the big castle, where she has her own apartment and fancy new dresses. So the sisters get really jealous and try sabotaging her relationship by convincing Beauty to stay with them longer than she promised. On her 10th day at home, Beauty had a nightmare where she saw the Beast dying of grief and realized in that moment that she couldn't live without him. She races back to the castle and finds her love unconscious on death's door. But she does manage to save him by pouring a bucket of water on his head and professing her love. At this moment, the palace started sparkling with lights, fireworks began going off, and out of nowhere, the beast that Beauty fell in love with became a handsome prince just like in the movie. Also similar to the movie, the prince explains he was cursed by a wicked fairy to become the beast until a beautiful virgin consented to marry him. If Disney followed the original Snow White story, then the evil queen wouldn't have tried to kill Snow White, only once. She would have done it three times. The first time, she goes to the dwarf's house disguised as an old peddler woman selling lace, and when Snow White buys some, the queen offers to lace up her bodice, and she ties it so tight that Snow White actually passes out from lack of oxygen. Luckily, the dwarfs return just in time to cut the laces, and she can breathe again. The next day, the queen learns that Snow White survived, so she disguises herself again and sells Snow White a poisoned comb. Snow White then let the stranger brush her hair with it, and she passed out immediately, but once again, that night, the dwarves came back and pulled it from her head, saving her life. Now, on the third day, when the queen found out that Snow White still wasn't dead, she was furious beyond belief. She needed a plan that was absolutely foolproof and crafted the poison apple that would kill her. The queen was a tricksy one, though. She only poisoned half the apple, so she took a bite out of the safe side to convince Snow White that it was okay. Then she handed it to her through the window, but barely a moment after the apple touched the girl's lips, she fell dead. Now, if you know the full story, then you'll remember that Snow White does go on to be saved but it's not how you'd think. It was not the prince's kiss that brought her back to life. Instead, he purchased her body from the dwarves and had his servants carry her coffin to the castle. But one of the servants tripped and shook the coffin so violently that the piece of poison apple that was stuck in her throat was dislodged and she woke up. So not quite as romantic and wholesome as Disney made it out to be and we're back. I hope you enjoyed that feature presentation. Full disclosure, I did not plan on posting a compilation this week. I've been working tirelessly on multiple mythology scripts that are turning out to be way longer than expected, but I hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe refreshed your memory. Anyway, I'll speak with you all again next Friday with part one of my deep dive into Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.